0: So, reading from verse 6 of chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Well, before we look at that together, let's pray and ask for God's help as we do. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we come to this text and uh, we hear these words of rebuke on your people. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would open our eyes to see you today, that you'd open our ears to hear what you have to say to us, and that you would open our hearts to, to receive your word as we look at it together now. And we pray that you would do your work by your spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you can think for a moment of something that is precious to you. It may be something that is of real monetary value. It's something that you take steps to make sure that you, you keep in a safe place, or, or maybe you have it insured, uh, or uh, you, you just look after it very, very carefully. Uh, or, or it might be a dream, or a goal that you have set your mind to. Something that requires a real investment of your time and your effort in order to achieve. A, a degree, maybe, or a, a promotion, perhaps. Or, or it could be a relationship that you, you value deeply and that is reflected in the attention that you give to it. The lengths that you are willing to go to to ensure that that person knows that they are loved if we want to assess how valuable something is to us, then we only really need to look at the level of sacrifice that we are willing to make for it. And that is true when it comes to God. If I was to ask you, what is God worth to you? The answer to that question will be found in your response to him. And in the passage that we are looking at today, we see that we might be able to, to fool others. Uh, we might be able even to fool ourselves. But there is no fooling God when it comes to how we worship him. Uh, Last week, we we kicked off our our series uh, in Malachi, and we saw that the prophet Malachi was given a message from God to share with God's people Israel at a time when nothing much was happening. God's people had returned from exile, uh, and the temple had been rebuilt, but apathy had well and truly set in, and the people were really just going through the motions, And we saw that they had grown cynical, cynical about God and ready to question him at every turn. In fact, this prophecy is structured around uh, what are known as disputations. And there are six of them where, where six times God makes a declaration and six times the people dispute it. And last week, we looked at the first of those disputations and really the the root problem of the whole book. God declared his love for his people, and their response was to cynically ask, how have you loved us? Cynicism about God's love, it leads to all the other problems in this book, and that is true in our own lives as well. If we are cynical about God's love for us, that will have destructive consequences in other parts of our lives. But we saw last week that the the love of God, it is not rooted in how we feel or assessed by our present circumstances. No, it is grounded in God's grace, a grace that is ultimately displayed in God's son, Jesus, who loved us before we ever loved him. But if last week was all about God's declaration of love for His people, well, then this week, uh, the second disputation, it turns the tables. God declares the people's hatred for Him. If you look with me at verse 6, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master... Where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name? Now, God specifically addresses the priests here. But it would be fair to say that what he condemns was an issue that extended beyond the priests to the people. This was an issue that all the people were guilty of. And the priests, by turning a blind eye to it, they were complicit. But what specifically was the problem? Well, God accuses his people of despising his name. Instead of treating him with the honor and the respect that he deserved, they had treated him with contempt. Now, in the Bible, God's name encapsulates who he is. So to despise it is to despise God. It's to despise his character, to despise his presence. It was an incredibly serious Accusation. But true to form, the people cynically question it. Verse 6 But you say, How have we despised your name? You know, it's striking, isn't it, that their first reaction to God is not to believe what he has to say, to accept that the truth of his word. It's to question him. It's to consider him untrustworthy cynically questioning God goes right back to the very beginning of the Bible and the root of the first sin. In the book of Genesis, it was the tactic of the serpent in the garden to cast doubt on God's trustworthiness. And that is what these people are doing here. By questioning God's word in this way, they were challenging his trustworthiness. And yet, just as he did in the first disputation, God responds to their unbelief with grace. He answers their question. The people ask, how have we despised your name? And God responds, verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. So God gives them a tangible example of the way in which they had treated him with disdain. Now, the aim of the temple sacrifices was to enable God's continued presence in the temple. The sacrifices, they were meant to be unblemished. They were meant to be of the the best quality, which signified the worth of the God that they were being offered to. The God who had chosen them as his own and had entered into a covenant with them. The God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and had delivered them time and time and time again. The God who had promised to work out his purposes for the world through them, who had promised them a king who would one day rule forever in love and justice and peace. The God who deserved their best. But instead, these people had trampled on God's lavish love and grace by offering shoddy sacrifices. And alarmingly, they seemed to be completely unaware that their sacrifices weren't up to scratch. They challenged God's example of their polluted offerings, verse 7. But you say, how have we polluted you? See, these people, they thought they were doing God a favor by simply turning up at the temple and throwing a sacrifice, any sacrifice on the altar. And clearly, they really were willing to offer any sacrifice. Any sacrifice, that is, except for one that would actually cost them something, one that was valuable to them. All their cast-offs were used for their temple worship. God explains, verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? In fact, they become so blasé about their offerings that they were even offering up roadkill that they had no doubt picked up at the side of the road on the way to the temple. Verse 13, God says, you bring what has been taken by violence. And that's a reference to dead animals that had been mauled by wild animals that the people decided fitted the bill for a sacrifice. You can just picture the scene, can't you? Joe, on his way to the temple to fulfill his sacrificial duties, and on the way he spots a dead animal by the side of the road. And he thinks to himself, cha-ching, this is going to save me a few quid here. I can save my my blind, three-legged lamb for the next time I visit the temple. Or I could just cook it up when the, the boys come over for the chariot race tomorrow night. You get the picture? These people thought they were doing their duty. They thought that by carrying on, heading along to the temple and offering whatever sacrifice they wanted to, they were doing God a favor. But their shoddy sacrifices showed just how worthless God was to them. How little they cared for God, and really how little they believed in him. God challenges them, verse 8, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? And what he's saying is that you wouldn't dare be so blasé with your boss. You wouldn't be so half-hearted in the way that you go about things when you know that you will answer to them. And yet their attitudes and their actions towards God at the temple revealed the state of their hearts. They didn't love God. They didn't respect him and they didn't think they needed to answer to him. To all intents and purposes, they were living as if he wasn't there, as if he didn't exist. All they were engaging in was empty ritual. And God's verdict is that it would be better if they didn't offer anything at all. Empty ritual, half-hearted offerings. They might have been able to to fool the people into believing that they were fulfilling their duty, that God should just be happy with what he was getting. But they didn't fool God. God recognized their so-called worship for what it was, an attempt to cheat him, verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. These people had the temerity to think that they could cheat God. But the sovereign king who sees all things and knows all things and is the ruler over all things, he cannot be fooled. And their shoddy sacrifices, instead of bringing the blessing of his presence, met with the curse of his judgment. This is a sobering text. And while we might not be faced with the dilemma of which lamb to pick out from the flock before we head along to the temple, this is a passage that ought to cause us to stop and to ask ourselves, what does my worship, what does my service say about what God is worth to me? For example, how do I view coming to church? Am I just going through the motions, turning up out of habit? Do I, do I see it as, as doing my bit, doing God a favor when I turn up? But really, it's more of a duty uh, than a joy. Do I come with an attitude that is shaped By a thankful heart, thankful for the opportunity to gather with God's people and celebrate His love for me and encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or is my attendance more of a a grudging obedience, characterized by a a critical spirit when things aren't to my satisfaction? Do Do I see my service here as a favor? Something that's quickly withdrawn if it becomes a bit inconvenient. If it starts to feel like a bit too much of a sacrifice. Do I keep myself on the edges? Not really getting involved. Just showing up when it suits me. Leaving it to others to sacrifice their time and their energy and their talents. Do I talk a good game? Do I give the impression that I'm giving God my best, when in actual fact, I'm just really giving him the dregs? In my heart, am I only really interested in serving myself, offering the kind of roadkill sacrifices that don't actually cost me anything? Am I deluding myself? Or am I trying to cheat God with what I'm willing to offer in response to his lavish grace? This passage, it ought to be convicting, but it shouldn't just cause us to look in and reflect. It should cause us to look out, to to look up, to look at God and consider him. You see, these people, they really had no excuse. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So the people of Malachi's day had the whole of God's dealings with his people in the Old Testament to look back on. How time after time he'd shown them mercy. These people had lost sight of God. They'd lost sight of his love. They'd lost sight of his goodness. They had lost sight of his grace. And that led to these shoddy sacrifices. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, have we lost sight of God's goodness and grace in our lives? Because we have far more reason to be thankful. We have far more reason to give God our best than they did. We have far more reason to respond with wholehearted worship, to live sacrificial lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that as Christians, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, that this is our spiritual act of worship. And we're to do that in view of God's mercy to us. How has God shown his mercy to us? Well, in a far greater way than even these Israelites in Malachi's day. See, they were still waiting for God's promised king to come. But we live on the other side of that event. We live on the other side of the ultimate sacrifice. We live with the knowledge that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We live with a wonderful truth that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We live knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ chose to suffer and die so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have the sure and certain hope of a glorious future in his eternal kingdom. A kingdom where there will be no more suffering, no more shame, no more sorrow, no more death. And that knowledge of who we are in Christ, a forgiven people with a glorious future, not because we deserve it, but purely because of God's amazing love and grace, that knowledge ought to radically reshape our response to Him in the present in view of God's mercy, how could we think that a little inconvenience, a little discomfort in service to Him is too much hassle? In view of God's mercy, how could we possibly think that it's okay to give Him the dregs, to give Him what's left over, As we consider God's love to us in Jesus Christ, as we dwell on his grace, as we meditate on his mercy, how could we give him anything less than our best? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Are you giving Christ your all? Or are you half-hearted? in your offerings. Now, in the rest of this passage, in the first part of chapter 2, Malachi turns specifically to the priests, and he condemns them for their failure to honor God by turning a blind eye to the people's disdain for God and worship, for accepting sacrifices that weren't worthy of the name He warns them of the judgment that they will face if they don't address their own sin and the sin of the people. And he gives them a model of a godly priest in Levi. Levi honored God by walking with him and by instructing the people. He didn't hold back from from challenging them in their sin and calling them to honor God, to turn back to God. And he tells these priests, that, that is what they're meant to do. In chapter 2, verse 7, he says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And that calling for those priests then is the same calling for God's ministers today. We live in an age where my feelings my preferences, my freedom to express myself in whatever way I choose has become the sacred order of the day, an age where people resist instruction rather than seek it. And for a minister, for someone in my position, the temptation is to be fearful, to be afraid, to faithfully proclaim God's Word And confront sin for fear of how people will react. A passage like this might be hard to hear. It might cause you offence. And the temptation is to shoot the messenger rather than take this message to heart. Can I ask you, please don't shoot me. Instead, heed God's word. Receive this message as a gracious gift to you. That God in His mercy would shine the light of His Word into areas of our heart that we might not even have realized needed to be exposed. And take this opportunity to once again be drawn to the foot of the cross and wonder at God's love for you in Jesus Christ and in view of His mercy, respond to Him. As he deserves by offering your body as a living sacrifice of worship to him, everything that you are in service to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you expose in our hearts areas that we might not even have realized needed to be exposed. Lord, we pray that Today, by your Spirit, you would cause us to reflect deeply on what it means to worship you, what it means to honor you. Lord God, as sinful people, we are going to fall short of this all the time, but we pray that by your Spirit, you would cause us to have a deep appreciation of your love for us, your grace to us in Jesus Christ, and that you would stir in our hearts a, a passion, for your name and for your glory that so shapes our lives and our our response to you uh, as a community of people here, in the way that we worship you, in the way that we love you, in the way that we love one another, um, that you would be pleased, that you would be glorified, and that the world around us would see something so beautiful and so attractive that they might long to know the one at the heart of it all, the one that you gave because you so loved us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, we pray that um, we would, again, just know your Spirit's presence among us as we reflect on your grace and mercy, as we have a visible reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made, that we might be forgiven. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.